Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 344 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, I am answering listener Denise's question about green funerals and other environmentally friendly end-of-life decisions. The more I host this podcast and the more experts I'm fortunate enough to interview, the more I understand that human beings tend to do things the way they've always been done. We're not a species that tends to question the status quo, are we? This is especially true when it comes to issues surrounding death and burial. The traditional funeral in the United States is expensive, with the average being around $10,000. And then on top of that, there are the environmental issues. Every year, conventional funerals bury millions of tons of wood, often fancy wood, concrete, and metals, as well as millions of gallons of carcinogens, those embalming fluids. Conventional cremation isn't much better. Heating up those ovens requires an awful lot of energy. Cremation in a crematory carries a carbon footprint equivalent to that of a 500-mile car trip. And that's to say nothing about the ashes, the scattering of the ashes, which we'll get into in today's show. My guest today does argue that there is a better way, and she is leading the Green Funeral Revolution. Today, I am speaking with Elizabeth Fournier. She is the author of The Green Burial Guidebook. She is also the owner and operator of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon. It is the first green funeral home in the Portland metropolitan area. And of course, if your spiritual beliefs or your ethnic heritage dictate your end-of-life decisions, of course, no sweat, no worries. But if you are curious about alternatives to the casket or the cremation, this is the episode for you. Elizabeth, I am so morbidly excited to speak with you today. How are you? Morbidly excited? Wow, I don't get that very often. That's fun. I love it. I'm great. How are you? I am wonderful, and I'm really excited to glean your wisdom. I want to start today by asking you how on earth you found yourself in this line of work, how you found yourself dubbed the Green Reaper. Excellent pun, by the way. Tell me all of that. And thank you for saying glean the wisdom. People always say pick your brain. And even as a mortician, that totally grosses me out. So as a young, young child was definitely geared up for this life. A lot of people in my family home died, mother, grandparents, what have you. And I was the kid who worked through my grief by playing funeral in the sandbox and by figuring it out by reading the National Geographic and having a little tombstone garden on top of my nightstand. And then we spent a lot of time, of course, at funerals and burials and walking around cemeteries and all these things. So my path was a little bit different. And, you know, when you're the kid that somebody's hamster dies and you're out there burying it in the side of the yard and saying the prayers, I think, you know, you're on a little bit of a different path than the other kids. So probably at age 13, I knew working in a funeral home probably was my calling, but I didn't really know what that would look like. Didn't really know what job title that was. I just knew maybe working at a funeral home. So life went on. I worked, did my thing. And then I came out to the parlor where I am right now in Boring, Oregon, 
about 20 years ago. And it is a repurposed goat barn. Place was falling apart. They needed somebody to run it. And within being here a super short period of time, I got a phone call from somebody who had a loved one named Wanda, who they called the Wanderer. They wanted to keep her at home. They wanted to bury her on their own property in their intentional community. And I thought, this sounds fantastic. Let's do it. So guess what? We did it. It was really simple. It was very legal. And I thought, wow, watershed moment. This is why I'm in the industry. And within a very short period of time, I'd get calls from people who wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to keep their loved one at home and bury them. And they said, you're that green reaper. Aren't you that girl who does this? And I thought, yes, I am. Being in the environment, helping people save money, doing things their own way really was the full embodiment of the calling and being really, I guess you'd say, a sustainable minimalist. Let's talk about a traditional end of life. People tend to go here in the United States one of two routes, either a traditional burial in a coffin in a funeral home. And then the second route is, of course, the cremation. We tend to not really think about how the planet is impacted by our end of life choices, but the planet is impacted. So tell us how. I think people just decide to do what family has routinely done, or maybe what their ethnic heritage dictates, the neighborhood dictates, maybe what their pocketbook dictates. And that's what we do. So routinely, we have people who've wanted to be in a casket, maybe be visited, maybe go to a church, go to a cemetery. People naturally assume, well, you have to be embalmed and you have to buy the expensive casket and you have to go ahead and have the big tombstone and the whole thing. Well, cremation has come along and become very popular. Cremation is about 50% through the United States, which I think is surprising to some people. On the West Coast, it's up to 80%. And the reason why, it's economical. People don't always have a burial spot or a church they belong to. And for the longest time, the thought was, well, it's environmental because I'll just scatter myself to the wind or I won't take up a grave space. I'll just have ashes and they'll just stay on my mom's coffee table. And that way I'm just not wasting any room on the planet. Well, the cremation process itself is a bit of a problem. There's a lot of fossil fuel that gets used to heat up the crematory oven to 1800 degrees and maintain that heat for about three hours. You can think about all of the fuel maintained for that. Also, everything inside you goes out the little chimney smoke and floats around the universe. So if the funeral director didn't catch that pacemaker, ooh, ooh, that lithium battery is going to explode and we have bad stuff floating out there in the universe with radioactivity, really. That's what that is. Also, whatever's inside us, anything that's filled our teeth, our polyester clothes, whatever it is, goes up. And what goes up, as we know, must come down. And so what's inside us, again, it gets in the streams and it gets in the crops. And it's that cycle of life that isn't so healthy and so great. So that's a little bit of a problem. Also, the cremated remains... They're high in salt. They don't biodegrade. They aren't a pH balanced. So if you decide you're going to make a tree out of them or you're going to sprinkle them on a rose bush or something, you're going to kill that plant. It doesn't work that way. It's going to leach all the nutrients out of the soil. So cremated remains do not add to nature. They don't add to the soil 
unfortunately. So now in 22 states, we have an aqua cremation. We have a water-based cremation where your body is in sort of a Star Trekky stainless steel tube, nice gentle water bath happens. And afterwards, you have a skeletal system, which is just really soft and porous. Those bones are made smaller into ashes and family can have those ashes, but those ashes are balanced with the pH. Those aren't actually the embers from a flame. It's a different process. That water also can be given to a family to use in their sprinkler system or to put in their non-edible garden. Also, that water, any of that that goes down the drain into the sewage system, completely neutralized. And the carbon footprint of that process is super, 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 super low. So a little bit of a better choice if you find yourself wanting a cremation. When you talked about the burial, there's other ways to have your burial. You can still go to a church. You still can have a visitation. You still can be in a casket or an alternative container, but it can be environmental. It can be less expensive. It can be sustainable. Lots of options out there. I want to talk about the options, but I want to back up a step or two and talk about, well, what's so bad? about putting ourselves in a fancy box that's lined with a silk pillow, that our bodies are embalmed, so we look halfway decent when our loved ones come and, you know, say their final prayers over our bodies. Aside from the financial aspects, what's so bad environmentally about putting our bodies in that box and embalming us for the planet? And I like the way you say what's so bad environmentally, because spiritually or ethically, if that's what a family wants to do, absolutely fantastic. My job as a licensed funeral director is to provide the options. So if your body is embalmed, it's full of formaldehyde, it's full of formalin, it's full of lots of chemicals. It's going to be going into a casket, which probably is made out of metal or wood with lots of varnish and lots of chemicals. And then you're going to be put into a gray space in the ground, which most likely has a concrete liner or has some sort of polypropylene grave box. And ultimately, all these resources are just going to be buried underground. All of these chemicals and plastics and oils are now leaching into the soil. And the real shame is our body is full of so much juicy goodness. And we're missing that ripe opportunity to give ourselves back that last final act of going green. If you really want to be environmental, you can go out green by giving yourself green. And that would be allowing your natural body in a natural either shroud or pine box or banana leaves, whatever the heck it is, to be placed naturally into the ground. So none of those resources are used, but also all of the goodness goes in. And if you're buried at about a three foot level, four feet level, that's where all the fungi and the protozoa, and that's where everything is there, the whole environmental party, you want to go and become part of that and give yourself back. Now that is a beautiful, beautiful cycle of life. I love that you mentioned the environmental party there, because I love a good party and I want to go to that one. And I'll be honest, I assumed before talking to you and having this conversation on my radar, I assumed that being put in a box and then being put in the ground would take me to that environmental party. I don't even know, this is completely my ignorance showing, but I don't even know if I knew that 
bodies were embalmed. And so I want to talk about that for a moment. I mean, putting yourself in a fancy box made of rare wood, that doesn't sound environmentally friendly to me. The concrete that goes into the ground to hold the box, like that doesn't sound environmental to me. But let's zero in on the embalming for a minute. Why do we do that? Why are we embalming bodies? What is the purpose and use of formaldehyde? Uh, tell me all of that. I'm just really curious. I'm glad you asked because it's a fantastic idea to know about. Also, it's why the funeral industry started. So what we used to do is somebody would pass away. We'd keep them in the front parlor of the house. The women, either in the family or the church or the neighborhood, would come together and tend that body. They would clean it, bathe it, they would dress it, maybe make some food. And people would come and spend their time and the person would be able to slowly go off into the ethos from just being there in the home. And then little by little, the men would put them maybe in a box that they made, bring them out to the yard or the churchyard, and we would have a natural burial. So that really is the traditional burial concept and structure. Super simple, super inexpensive, very community-oriented, centered, all about love, right? So what happened was back in the 1830s, there was some tinkering around with some I guess you'd call it now modern day embalming fluid. There was some arsenic and some mercury and some things. And when the Civil War happened in the 1890s, there's a lot of boys who died out on the field and families wanted to bring them home to give them that home burial or that churchyard burial. But we had to get the boys back home. So there was a transportation issue and that was a train. So putting someone who died in battle on a train in a boxcar and getting them back up to their state, we needed some sort of refrigeration. Well, that was an issue too. Ice only works so well. So those doctors who came up with the original method of embalming really perfected it in the field to get everything going with um, the soap and the water and the arsenic and made this formula, formula that would actually hold the bodies together. When Abraham Lincoln died in 1865, he was so revered. He was so loved. Everybody wanted to see him. He had this huge funeral tomb procession. And if people haven't seen this, I really, really encourage you to look. He went through 12 different states and 1,800 cities. And this thing was huge. But he was embalmed. And he was in a casket that could get lowered from the train into his hearse. And that funeral caisson would process someplace. He'd be unloaded. People can walk past him and see him. So that really put embalming on this huge center stage. Well, what happened is the war ended and boys decided to go to school and they learned how to embalm. So we had licensed funeral directors and then we had funeral homes. And rather than keeping somebody in your front parlor, we had the funeral guys who would come to the house and the, the undertakers would come take you away and undertake you. But how we changed this is we made it fancy now. And so rather than the local craftsman or the neighbor, we had different kinds of wood and different kind of embellishments on the caskets. All the cabinet makers got in the game. And then we had a body that was preserved and we could show the body longer periods of time. And then little by little, you can imagine we had the memorial park with the sexy green grass and the upright headstones and everything got bigger and better, so to speak. But the funeral industry became huge. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm wondering whether the rise of the funeral home is really just a rise in finding another way to make 
money off of someone's end of life. And I'm not even going to ask you that. That's just a question that's floating around in my mind. But we're going to take a quick break, Elizabeth. And when we come back, we've done an excellent job, I would say, outlining the problems associated with what we tend to do. When we come back, we're going to talk about a green burial. So we'll get there after a quick word from our sponsors. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Elizabeth Fournier. She is the author of The Green Burial Guidebook, Everything You Need to Plan an Affordable, Environmentally Friendly Burial. She is also the owner and operator of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Oregon, which is the first green funeral home in the Portland metropolitan area. Elizabeth, before the break, we were discussing the environmental concerns associated with doing what we've always done when it comes to end-of-life considerations. And I know you do things quite differently for clients who want it over at Cornerstone Funeral Services. Walk me through a green burial. I never heard of one before, but I think I want one. What's a green burial? So imagine someone passing away and the family taking the time to decide if they want to bathe their loved one, if they want to transport their loved one to the funeral home, if they want other people to be involved in what they're doing, if they want to come to the funeral home and spend time with their person, bathe their person, dress their person, what have you, and then be able to breathe into the experience of deciding... If they happen to live in one of the states where they can have private land burial, maybe making that happen, or choosing one of the cemeteries in the 50 states, we've got several in every state that do allow a green burial to happen, which would just be a burial without a grave liner. That's the key. You ask for no grave liner, and can that happen? Then you can have a green burial. So we would bring somebody to a cemetery or to a natural burial ground or a conservation burial ground and take the time, lower them either gently into the space or put them on a lowering device. The casket they would have could be a sheet off their bed with a board underneath them, or it could be a cardboard box that people in the family took time drawing on with their non-toxic markers and maybe decorating it with flowers and leaves or what have you. 
Somebody could be in a shroud. Somebody could be in a natural pine casket or an eco pod, something made out of paper mache. There's just so many just succulent and wonderful, wonderful options for this. And then the person will just gently lower into the ground. Family can take their time with handfuls of earth replacing the soil or maybe using a shovel. They can take their time. They can talk, whatever they want to do. They want to have some intention, sing, be in peace, be quiet. And then after the grave is filled or partly filled or whatever they're comfortable with, kind of sit and talk and think and kind of one by one, everybody sort of peels off from the grave and naturally moves on to wherever they're going to move on to next. So it's really allowing people the choice to do things themselves, do whatever is legal in their state and make a lot of their own choices. And when someone can make their own choices, people tend to migrate towards something which is going to be low impact. People will say, well, rather than buy a shroud, can I just make a shroud with some fabric? Sure. Can I put somebody in their favorite cotton dress? You betcha. Can we figure out a way to all carpool together in a caravan? Sure. So it's really neat how people can really take their time and do something very individual rather than coming into a funeral home and being told, this is our package. This is what you do. These are the caskets you choose. We're going to the church at this time. We're doing the burial this day, and then you're over with, and that's it. It's really you being able to maybe honor the person, how they live their life. That all sounds so wonderful, Elizabeth, but I have a lot of clarifying questions, and I'm hoping we could go through them one by one. The first is you mentioned the grave liner. I'm assuming that would be the concrete liner that lines the hole in the ground. If I wanted to have a green burial, if I wanted my loved ones to wrap me in a sheet, let's say, or a cotton blanket, let's say, and put me in the ground without a grave liner, would my cemetery down the street adhere to those wishes? Or are there state laws in place that are going to say, no, no, you can't do that? Well, the beauty is there is no state law. Green burial is 100% natural. But the cemetery has the right to designate what they want. So the cemetery might say, great, you can be wrapped in your sheet, but we need a sturdy board under you. But you're not really going to be touching the earth because we need a concrete liner around you, or we need you to get something made out of another fabric to do that. Some cemeteries say you have to use a standard casket. We don't want any of this homemade stuff. We want a standard casket. So what I tell people when they're interested in this and burying on their private land, if it's not legal or not interesting to them, call a couple of your local cemeteries. And rather than say, can I do a green burial? Because they might say, what in the heck are you talking about? Ask them, can we have a burial in your cemetery without a grave box or without a grave liner? And some cemeteries are so thrilled, you're just coming to buy a space, they could care less. A lot of the smaller cemeteries they might run it by their board of two people and say, yeah, sounds good. Some people say, no, this is how we do this because we want to run heavy equipment across the graves. We don't want anything to sink. We don't want to backfill anything. We don't want any wavy, gravy, funkiness. We want it all to be pristine and beautiful, and we don't want any of that. And then you can make a choice of what to do. You might not be able to fully have your green burial, but you still can have a body that's not embalmed. You still can decide that maybe you're all going to carpool, or maybe you're not going to have cut flowers, but you're going to maybe have some native plants, some succulents, 
Maybe you're going to stand around and you're going to have some sort of pamphlets or memorial folders and you could print those on recycled paper. There are shades of green that can be used and incorporated for pretty much everything. Mm. I love how you just opened up a Pandora's box of possibilities as to how to greenify this process, right? Like I'm thinking about all the cut flowers that are likely coming from South America. We can we can do little things here and there to make a funeral more environmentally friendly. But I still have some more questions, Elizabeth, and I'm hoping you'll bear with me. I'm wondering, you know, if I choose not to be embalmed, does that mean then that my loved ones will not be able to view me. And that would be fine. As a side note, my opinion is that's weird. Like, let's have everybody look at my dead body. That's weird. That's my opinion. But also, like, would my body smell if I'm not embalmed? These are great questions. And this is what really the average person doesn't know. So if you don't want to be embalmed, people can still look at you. But there's a couple situations where that won't be the case. If you've had an autopsy, for instance, there needs to be some sewing, some stitching, what have you. We really need to sort of put you back together and preserve you. Um, if you possibly have had tragic situation, there might be a little bit of work that needs to happen. But the average person dies in a very average way. Either you've had an illness or you just get to a point in life where it's natural causes and your organs just slowly shut down. And most people die in a bed. Most die in a nursing home or at the their own house or in a hospital, and you can have a visitation right there. There's no reason why a nurse or somebody can't just bathe you a little bit. The family can't comb the hair, even maybe change you into another outfit, and people can't come there and hold your hand and see you and spend time and talk to you. I think as humans, especially American humans, we really revere the body and who that person was. And people still might need to see their auntie or their uncle. And maybe rather than doing it at the funeral home, where you might have to pay more money and have more processes done, do it locally like that. You can have a visitation. And people can see you without being embalmed. Some states have some rules. Again, check into what those are. Sometimes there is an issue where there's a contagious disease or something where we should really be removing some fluids out of you. But for the most part, yes, somebody can come see you. We can bring you into the funeral home. We can bathe you. We can have you resting comfortably. People can come say goodbye. Natural deceased bodies really aren't full of all these terrible, bad things. And as far as the smell goes, you know, I have a lot of families here on the West Coast, especially Oregon, Washington, where you can act as your own funeral director. You don't even have to hire a funeral home. People like to keep the person at home for a couple days before they drive them to the crematory or drive them to the cemetery or bury them in the yard or whatever they're going to do. And what I tell people about the odor factor is a lot of times after somebody passes away, sometimes a bowel movement, will happen, but that can be whisked away and someone's fresh as a daisy again. Also, is it 100 degrees out? Is the person riddled with chemotherapy? Uh, you know, all these things that happen. But normally, if you have somebody who's slowly dying under hospice care at home, aren't they being bathed? Aren't they having their clothes changed? Aren't they being loved and tended to? Yes. So why wouldn't they, when their heart stops beating, there's still that person. Your body doesn't immediately do anything crazy. 
I'm sure I have some listeners listening right now, and they're thinking to themselves, this all sounds lovely, but what's the cost? What's the price tag? How does the cost of a green burial compared to that of a traditional one? And I alluded to earlier, the cost of a traditional one, in my opinion, is through the roof. But usually eco-conscious products, services, etc. cost more. So how does a green burial compare to the traditional burial in terms of cost? So it's really all over the board. And the reason why I say that is you can be very inexpensive as far as choosing a sheet or choosing a very simple casket or choosing an alternative container, which isn't expensive, but you might go to a cemetery and decide we want the hilltop with the glorious view of the mountain range. And yeah, that grave might be (laughs) $10,000. So keep that in mind, just because it's a natural grave and there isn't a liner inside, somebody still has to prepare the space or still buying property with a deed that's held in the county. So there can be a lot of different choices with which cemetery are you going to. If you're in a rural cemetery, a pioneer cemetery, small town cemetery, that's most likely going to be a lot less expensive than if you're doing something inside the city limits. I'm in the town of Boring, Oregon, which I never get tired of saying it. I love every joke. I'm 20 miles from Portland, Oregon, which is a huge mecca of a city. And the graves out where I am are probably a third of the cost of the ones out in Portland. Something to consider. But you want to know what can be super inexpensive? I'm in the rural part of a county in the state of Oregon that says, yes, you can bury people in your yard. So I have families who have the luxury of having somebody die at home. They can keep them at home because some people say, I want to die at home, but you get rushed to the nursing home or the rehab or the hospital and you don't always get that wish. But let's say someone dies at home. You can keep them there, tend to them there. Even if the funeral home is involved, we can just take care of just helping you strategically place ice or do whatever. We can get a death certificate typed. You can actually have somebody go and prepare the space in the yard. And then when you're ready, we can take the person and put them in the yard. Think about how inexpensive that is. A little bit of paperwork that either the family does or the funeral home does. Maybe some gas for the backhoe or maybe some pizza for the guys with the shovels. That's really not going to be a lot of cash at all. So you can definitely have your village, have your tribe, have your group get involved and do things, or you can hand it all over to the funeral parlor and say, here, you do everything and just let me know what the bill is for that. Or you can say, sometimes what I have with families is they say, we want to do everything ourselves, but after caretaking somebody we're going to be exhausted. And can you just maybe bring mom back to the funeral parlor, clean her up, maybe provide some cooling. And then when the space is ready, either at the cemetery or the house, bring her back. You bet. So there's ways that funeral homes can do just little bits that the family doesn't want to do. So ask the questions, do the research, watch the videos, check my book out from the library. Don't don't uh, take down a tree for my book, get a used copy or get it from the electronic webs there and figure some things out. There's a lot of options out there and you don't know the questions to ask if you really don't know what the heck any of this is. Yes, you bring up such an important point there, which is that when someone we love dies, either they have their wishes laid out for us or they don't. And we're in no states if they don't to you know, ask these questions. So we revert to what 
has been done, has always been done. And I love how you're saying ask the questions because there are alternative ways. I want to bring this conversation back to where we started. At the beginning of our conversation, Elizabeth, you had mentioned I'm not sure the correct term, but it was essentially a water cremation. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Just tell me all the things because it sounds, it's speaking to me. Sure, absolutely. So there are three very environmental things to do with the body. We call them forms of disposition. And I'll go through the three of these that are besides the natural burial. So the aqua cremation or the bio cremation or the water dissolution, there's so many names for this thing. And this is a machine that you can use instead of the hot fire and the flame of this standard cremation. It tends to cost a little bit more because every funeral home doesn't have one. They'll need to contract with the building that has one. But if you're interested, look up alkaline hydrolysis or look up, you know, aqua-friendly, eco-friendly cremation, and you can learn about it. You can ask the questions. And if this isn't legal in your state, there's no reason why you can't cross the state lines funeral home bring you there, or if you can transport your own person and do it that way and make this process happen. Something else that we do that people aren't always aware of is a full body burial at sea. That's something you can do. Now, if you're landlocked, if you're in Indiana and you're deciding, well, I'll just get my body on an airplane and ship it out to Oregon and those good folks will do it, we've got to think about that. The ratio of the carbon and the air flight and all that might not be the most eco-friendly, but if you're here in Oregon, we just drive you out to the coast, get in a boat, we're three miles off the coastline, you go down and you become one with the fishes and some people... Love that idea. That idea scares the heck out of me. So that's probably not the choice for me, but that's why there are so many choices. And then another option, natural organic reduction. This is legal now in six states, Oregon being one of them, also New York and California and Washington, and also in Colorado, Vermont. And this is something where you can be composted. And this really speaks to people who are gardeners or states where you can't have private land burial, but you can be composted and then you can take that mulch, you can take the compost and decide to plant something, do something with it, donate it someplace, have a localized tree supported by it or something like that. So natural organic reduction. I'm looking into it. Vermont's my neighbor. So yes, I'm, I'm there. I want to end this conversation, Elizabeth, by asking you, and this is a very personal question, and if you don't want to answer it, that's totally fine, but have you given any thought to how you want your remains to be taken care of? And if so, are you willing to share with us? Yes, that's a great question. So there's a two-parter. One is my beloved father passed away somewhat recently, and he was a huge fan of what I was doing. And he said, Liz, I want one of them green burials. Make it happen. And he was a devout Catholic. So the story I love to share about him, he wasn't embalmed. He was in the, the uh, natural fabric suit he wore to my college graduation 30 years ago. He was in a natural casket. We went even downtown Portland and the Monsignor gave all the blessings of the cathedral. We went in the hearse and then went to the Catholic cemetery and had a green burial. 
There you go. Pope Francis loves natural burial, so there's an option. So I have a space next to him at that cemetery. So I technically could do that if that's a choice I want. But really what it comes down to is I currently, my husband and I have a 15-year-old little girl. It's really up to whatever she wants to do. She'll be left behind and she'll be a young lady or a girl or what have you without a mommy. So whatever is going to make her comfortable. And I remember hearing about Courtney Love and she um, cremated Kurt Cobain and she had his ashes in this teddy bear backpack and she trekked all over Europe and, you know, ashes were kind of spurting out and all these things. And, you know, it's not my favorite concept, probably not what I really want to do. doesn't really speak to me, but I want her to do what she's the most comfortable with, which probably will be putting me next to Pop Pop. And having that burial there on that hill. But anything she wants, hopefully not the bottom of the ocean. Okay, Sophia? Mm, I don't really like that idea. <laughs> I'll let Sophia know if she doesn't listen to our conversation. I just want to say, too, you know, you mentioned Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain. I learned, again, through my research for our conversation, that scattering even the smallest amounts of ashes can be hazardous in delicate environments. I had no idea. I thought that would be, you know, returning uh, human matter to to Earth. But that's not necessarily the case, depending on where you're planning to scatter them. Tell us, Elizabeth, about where my listeners can find more of you and your important, very important work. Thank you. I'm at Elizabeth. Green Reaper. And I try to post a lot of the behind the scenes. And of course, we're always missing some of those really beautiful moments of the little tiny hand holding grandpa's hand and some of those really intimate moments because that's not appropriate to photograph. But other things when people deliver caskets to the funeral home or there's a natural organic reduction and kind of showing you what the vessels look like. And you get a little bit more of an idea of the day-to-day life of a green undertaker and really what happens. So that's a great way. Call me at the parlor. There's only one funeral home in Boring, Oregon. I'm the undertaker. Call if you have any questions, even if you're not anywhere in my local area, because, you know, you don't always have a friend who's a mortician. So I can hopefully answer some things for you, too. Happy to do it. Knowledge, education, it's all so important. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 344. I've linked to the resources that Elizabeth mentions in today's episode, but I've also in the show notes linked to some that we didn't get around to discussing. Perhaps you want to turn your ashes into plantable soil for a memorial flower or a tree. That is in the show notes. Or perhaps you want to learn more about the underwater cement balls that can hold ashes and create new marine habitats. That is also in the show notes. So show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 344. Today we do have an eco tip and it comes from JK. JK says that in the back of her car, she keeps an old backpack full of rubber gloves and trash bags. And when her children are off doing an activity, a sport, an SAT exam, etc., she grabs her bag, grabs her gloves and walks around the fields, the neighboring streets, even the Target parking lot, and she picks up trash, and she separates the trash based on trash and recyclables. She says that typically every cleanup she does, she finds 75% recyclables and 25% trash, and she feels so good knowing that she's taking these materials that are littering the ground, frankly an eyesore, going into waterways, disrupting our ecosystems, and putting them back in the waste stream. So if your kids have activities and you don't know what to do for an hour, it's 
too short of a time to go back home, too short of a time to get anything meaningful done, why not get some bags, get some gloves, and do a cleanup, get some exercise while you're at it. So thank you so much, JK. Excellent eco tip. Listeners, I'll see you on Thursday. Reach out if you need me and take care.